talking about it, I'll be talking about it. Dennis Prager here. Join me this morning at 11, right here on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy and uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith held serve in Mississippi as anticipated. So that gives Republicans a 53-47 advantage and a little bit more latitude for the president when it comes to Supreme Court nominees, for example. Yeah, and she beat her challenger by 68,000 votes. You can get brutalized. You can get beat up. That's kind of part of this business. We're putting it behind us. We can go forward, and uh, we're not looking back. She could do it all again in 2020, two more years. All right. For more on uh, the political landscape now that it's settled, that was the last race of the midterms to be finished. We're pleased to be joined by Ed Morrissey, senior editor for HotAir.com, columnist for the week. Ed, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good morning. So, um, 5347 in the Senate. Looks like, uh, what, 39, minus 39 in the House. Uh, what's your uh, one-paragraph summary of the midterm election that was? Well, I think red states got redder and blue states got bluer. I think that that's what you saw here. And uh, the Republicans did pretty well in the Senate because they had a much better field uh, in which to operate, and uh, Democrats the same way. So that's my one-paragraph take. Okay. And it, isn't there still one open congressional seat where they're still counting? That's the last one? Yeah. I think there's one, right? I think that that's right, Amy. I think there's one still left. So it could go to 40 uh, in the House, which would not be a, that far outside of normal uh, first-term, midterm corrections, uh, but, uh, but a little on the high side, but but still within that range. What do you think of uh, Trump's Norman Vincent Peale excesses uh, this week uh, in Tupelo? He reminds himself uh, that he people, uh, unnamed people, used to compare him to Elvis when he was young. And then according to this uh, new book that's out from Corey Lewandowski and David Bossie called Trump's Enemies, uh, Trump says uh, I've, I, that I'm, they would say— if my name weren't Trump, they would say I'm the greatest president in history and I blow Ronald Reagan away. I think that that's a fairly bold statement after two years. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's a, I, I don't think I'd agree with that. Um, I, I think that uh, the Trump brand is something that has actually worked in Donald Trump's favor, not against Donald Trump. And um, I think you have to go a long ways uh, to compare yourself to an uh, eight-year president anyway, and, and under any circumstances. But, I mean, just in terms of, uh, you know, him having to operate on a different landscape for the next two years with uh, House Democrats and uh, also with the prospect of the Mueller report forthcoming, um, the uh, and, and a changing cabinet, probably at least key positions over the next uh, several weeks uh, would be expected. Do you see or hear any evidence that there's going to be some pivoting of how Trump approaches politics in the uh, in the, the last half of his first term? Well, that's a great question because people are, have always been a little concerned on the right that Donald Trump isn't really uh, doesn't have a uh, ideological mooring. He's more of a pragmatist, and so he's the kind of guy who would maybe shift around to start cutting deals with the opposition. I think that um, uh, there might be some room for that in in terms of, for uh, for instance, infrastructure, but it would involve more spending, which would anger uh, conservatives, certainly, uh, uh, within the Republican caucus. But, yeah, you might start seeing some deals like that, and I think that there are 
limited areas where, where they'd be able to do that. I think the problem, though, for Donald Trump, more, more than it was for Ronald Reagan, who we should remember had Democratic houses the entire eight years that he was president, right. um, is that there is so much animosity, I mean, just personal animosity, uh, that has been built up now between Donald Trump and, and uh, Democrats that I think it's going to be difficult for any Democratic leadership to start cutting deals with Donald Trump without angering their own base um, to the extent that they might end up losing their own seats. Well, speaking of animosity, there's a lot between President Trump and the GM of General Motors tweeting out yesterday that he's uh, plan- threatening to pull all government subsidies from General Motors in response to their layoffs. Uh, do you think that's really presidential? Should he be you know, essentially bullying companies who lay off workers? No, I don't think it's presidential, and no, I don't think that uh, that it's it's an appropriate thing for a president to do. But I think it was completely predictable that Trump would do it because he had invested so much of his own standing in uh, reopening uh, manufacturing facilities in the United States. And so, I, when this came up, when GM did this, which is by the way not unexpected, this is something that GM had been expected to do. Um, I knew that this was going to be a bigger story because Trump was going to pour some gasoline on it for good reason, for good political reason anyway. Uh, but yeah, the president can't just stop subsidies for um, for uh, electric cars, which I, I, I believe was the specific subsidies that he was talking about, because those are passed into law. I mean, that's part of the tax code. You have to go through Congress to do that. So these are empty threats. They are political threats. They're, they're trying to force GM into coming back to the table and negotiating um, some of these changes. But um, Trump doesn't have a lot of leverage in this particular case. One area where he does have leverage, at least in terms of popular support, is the border wall and uh, the uh, approach that he's taking to repelling the caravan. And I wonder how this plays into uh, the last few weeks of the year and the fight over congressional funding for border wall construction. Yeah, this is, I think, the the only opportunity that uh, Trump has left to get significant funding for the border wall. And the irony here is that the the major appropriation that's still left um, that would create a a partial government shutdown involves Homeland Security. It's Homeland Security funding, as well as the Department of Justice, which handles immigration prosecution. So this is sort of a cutting-off-your-nose-to-spite-one's-face moment if you shut down justice and homeland security over a border wall, but it's literally the only leverage that Donald Trump will have left. In January, Democrats take over the House, and there's going to be absolutely no way that they're going to pass the kind of um, funding for a border wall that that he needs. So this is really his last opportunity, and I think he's serious. I think he'll take this down to the wire. We're, I think, uh, nine days away from the end of the continuing resolution for state justice and homeland security. And uh, I think there's a really good possibility that he's going to try out a government shutdown. Well, and why the recalcitrance still among Republicans, particularly as they see the politics of the caravan play out? Because people don't like government shutdowns. I mean, Chuck Schumer discovered that um, was it earlier this year with DAGA. People do not like government shutdowns, even if they like the policy that you're pursuing um, in terms of that, because DAGA is actually pretty popular, too. And Chuck Schumer uh, just blew up his caucus over uh, over uh, the shutdown on DACA, and Republicans have done the same thing. The, the government shutdown strategy is is something that 
doesn't really play well with voters. It's never really played well with voters. It plays well with a small segment of voters on either side, depending on who's trying to do it. But for the most part, it angers people. And even when, even when you have your own president who's managing it, it still angers people. And so it's sort of a, I guess it's sort of a, in case of emergency, break glass strategy. And the problem with it, using it now, is it's been used so often that people are just tired of it. They see it as a contrivance and not as a serious um, not as a serious way of getting things done. But isn't it incumbent upon him to to make the effort? I mean, you're essentially suggesting it is in terms of his inclination to uh, yes. to, to play a game of brinkmanship here. But not just him, also Republicans, including, uh, you know, uh, almost two dozen Republican senators that are up in 2020, and this will continue to be an issue because border security is going to continue to be an issue, that they didn't take the fight to Democrats when they had control and highlight to the American people that it's Democrats filibustering and, by other means, stopping us from securing our southern border. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make that argument without doing a government shutdown, too. But, you know, if, if, if that is the sine qua, uh, sine qua non of, of showing that you're a fighter, then, yes, I guess that that's not a bad strategy to take. But there are uh, Republicans, you got to remember, in 2020, Republicans are defending more seats in the Senate than than Democrats are. And right. if they get crosswise with voters, then you may end up putting yourself in a position where you don't have the Senate any longer after that either. He is Ed Morrissey. He's the senior editor for HotAir.com and a columnist for the week. Ed, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro.